Hello, witches. It's a Stevie Nicks podcast where we discuss all things Stevie. I'm Leslie. And I'm Melinda. And today we'll be talking about Stevie Nicks clickbait, continuing our discussion of the Belladonna album with a look at After the Glitter Fades. And at long last, we chat about the documentary Stevie Nicks Through the Looking Glass. Welcome to Hello, Witches. It's a Stevie Nicks podcast. Hey, Melinda. Hey, Leslie. So we have a lot to talk about today. Tons. Yes, yeah, so much to talk about. <laughs> uh, let's just jump right in. So let's talk about Dua Lipa has a, actually in a remix album that samples from Stevie Nicks' Stand Back. Yeah. Not that big of a deal. It has been touted in the media as Stevie Nicks makes an appearance on or works with Dua Lipa, but literally it's just she mixed Sampling. in. Yeah, she sampled Stand Back. Okay, so. and and that's a good thing. Um, you yeah, know, I like recently, to believe I, I'd say what the first twenty seconds. You know what? If Stevie fans, it's really convenient. The song kicks off with Stevie. Yeah, exactly. And you hear her go stand back for like about forty seconds, just nothing but that. So I yeah. mean, in a sense, you've already heard it. But if you would like to listen to it, you can stop listening after about forty seconds and move on with your life. So I mean, yeah. there it is. There it is. And Melinda, you sent me a picture today of you with, was it, it was a Stevie Nicks mask. I, I have in, invested um, in a Stevie Nicks mask. I'll post a picture on our Insta account. It's a good look for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you put a mask on me and it's like an instant makeover. I felt so pretty. So <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I feel like it's just really strange to have to walk around with just uh, your eyes and and communicating with people through your eyes because I'm like a freaking smiler so I've like been completely disarmed that was like my major social weapon mm -hmm. and now I can't smile at people so they can see I'm kidding or whatever yeah because I sound pretty dry sometimes mm -hmm. so but now I can put on the Stevie Nisk mask and it's like got a really heavenly aura about it so they can they can see that I mean no harm I come in peace I come in Stevie so Wait. that sounded terrible. <laughs> oh, what? what? Who said that? Okay, well, that, that went south quickly. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we still have a lot to talk about. So in order to cleanse our palate, let's take a little break here before we start talking about After the Glitter Fades. <laughs> yeah. So after the glitter fades. Yes, after the glitter fades is the last song on the first side of the album, of the vinyl anyway. It was written in 1972, though the copyright shows us 1975 when it appears on uh -huh. Belladonna. Uh, after the glitter fades is a song about a weathered star who's seen it all, is sometimes disillusioned, but couldn't imagine a better life for herself. However, Stevie wrote this song years before joining Fleetwood Mac and before she knew any sort of stardom. What was going on in Stevie's life around the time that she wrote that? So in 1972, Stevie and Lindsay had been living in L.A. for about two years. They were working on songs that would soon appear on the Buckingham Nicks LP. And Stevie Nicks was a woman ahead of her time, let's just say. She was the one who went out and was earning all the money while Lindsay stayed home perfecting his guitar and weed smoking mm -hmm. skills. 
Stevie earned money by cleaning producer Keith Olsen's house and waitressing and hosting at places like Clementine's and Bob's Big Boy in L.A. Here's what Stevie Nicks says about After the Glitter Fades. After the Glitter Fades was written in 1972, two years before Fleetwood Mac. So that's a premonition in itself because I had no idea what a rock and roll woman's face looked like when her heart broke. Or what a one-night stand was, or the feeling that remains after the glitter fades. The glitter had faded for me pretty much. I understood that the glitter faded in Hollywood, and I knew what I was getting into. That's from Stevie Nicks from The Source Event. And I pulled that from BuckinghamNicks.info. That's a great resource for Stevie Info. So After the Glitter Fades starts out with Roy Bitten of the E Street Band, our most famous for the E Street Band, playing this bright, warm piano intro, soon joined by the pedal steel guitar and then Stevie's lone vocal. And the song is mostly all Stevie vocals, while the rest of Belladonna prominently features Sharon and Laurie in the background. I think this is a great song. The opening lines for this song stick in my head today, till today. I don't know why. The lyrics are, well, I never thought I'd make it here in Hollywood. I never thought I'd ever want to stay. What I seem to touch these days has turned to gold. What I seem to want, well, you know, I find a way. I don't know why, I don't know why those lyrics catch me so much. I think the idea of what... What I seem to want mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what I seem to touch. I think that it, to me what, it, that you've called my attention to it, um, it almost sounds what well, seems like to me <laughs> that even her most effortless, you know, like what I seem to want, maybe I really don't want it. Mm-hmm. it it's like it, yeah. everything is equally important in this in this reality where you're famous and everything that you want even things that you're not even sure you want you know you feel driven to achieve them you know she finds a way yeah. and and this was written during a time when she literally was trying to find her way i mean she was working very hard um to support uh lindsay and herself at that time and she brings it up quite a bit i mean and we'll get into that a, uh, when we talk about the documentary but um, yeah, there was a lot of striving going on and everything was important, even the things that she seemed to want. And she also talks about the one that there's a line that says, can I just say um, the lyric sheet on here on the actual vinyl is like, you know, it's, it's all black and then the words are in white. And when you're young, you can read them pretty well. But when you get older, it's hard to read the lyrics on your vinyl of Belladonna. Anyway, continue. So there's a line, the loneliness of a one night stand is hard to take. And I always thought she just meant, you know, yeah. sex. But there's a quote in here from Stevie Nicks um, where she said, uh, we had certainly never had a one night stand re- referring to her and Lindsay because we had been together and there were no one night stands between Lindsay and me. That was a real premonition. I just had some idea about Fleetwood Mac. I wasn't talking about one night stands with a man. I was talking about your one night stand in a concert where you run in, played, mm-hmm. and left. That's from High Times magazine. So maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. You know how things are. With oh, Stevie. Uh, yeah. The meanings morph through time. Yeah. And we'll be talking a, lo- a lot about that when we get to Edge of Seventeen. And that's. I'm just going to say yeah. that right now. I'm going to stop. But yes, you're right. Yep. Next. Yeah, time. you're right. The. It depends on what the song is about, according to Stevie. It really kind of depends on when you catch her. You know, yeah. Sometimes that's <laughs> true, and sometimes she's and sometimes she just re- almost repeats it verbatim. Mm-hmm, that's true. Uh, 
You know what I mean? Like some of those songs, they stay the same throughout, you know, over 20, mm-hmm. 30 years. Um, but this song is probably, I'm going to say the most country song I've heard her do. And definitely the most country song on this oh, yeah. album, even though Think About It sounds pretty country. Yeah. But yeah, this is classic, uh, great country sound. And actually, she wrote this for Did Dolly she? Parton. She said she originally, yeah, she said she originally wanted Dolly Parton to do That's After the Glitter awesome. Fades. I would love to hear that. Well, she sent it to her. She doesn't think that Dolly oh, ever I would got be it. Surprised. But yeah, I can see like if you if you even listen to the way Stevie sings it and start thinking about Dolly it's Parton, effortless. it makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, wow. She was looking to make money at the time. She didn't want to keep uh, cleaning apartments and waitressing. She was driven, and she she envisioned a, a future, maybe not unlike Dolly's. You know, she had to inhabit that space. And it was prophetic. It did come true. Well, there's a clip of Stevie doing After the Glitter Fades on the Crystal Visions DVD. And if you don't have that or you don't feel like dragging out your DVD, there's there's a clip on YouTube. And it is one of those clips that make you fall in love with Stevie Nicks all over again. You know, it's just pure, it's just Stevie singing. Yeah. It's cool. It, yeah, it's just one of those. I know, you know, those every now and then, Melinda, you'll send me a. I think the last time you sent me one was her doing a clip of Angel, and I just started crying. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Why am I crying? It's because it's so just pure creativity mm-hmm. and pure musicality. Yeah. yeah. And, and it is such, you know, I don't know. It's just, it is kind of funny because, yeah, I, I get pretty emotional about Stevie too. And, and, uh, Certain songs were just were just devastating, and I, I just I, I can't go into it right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you can also uh, see her talk about this and sing it, sing uh, after the glitter fades on VH1 Storytellers. And if you want to see a cover, and there aren't too many, uh, Melissa Etheridge did cover after the glitter fades in her From Home series. And that's on YouTube. And Melissa just mentions that being a rock and roll woman, I was a fan of Stevie Nicks and she used to play that song Good at her, her gigs. <laughs> <laughs> My feelings about Melissa Etheridge have evolved through time and that's a whole different podcast. She, at least she's not on the plane of doom. You know, she, she's not, yes, she's exactly. not boarded, you know, she's kind of milling yeah. milling around the gate though. I will say that. She's uh, a great yeah, songwriter, she is. though. She is. She is. Melissa Yeah, that's after the glitter fades. Any uh, other comments I think on that? You really covered that very well, and and I like it. And I will. I'll be putting out an Instagram post about after the glitter fades, and we're going to be looking for comments about uh, that song. So uh, be on the lookout for the record cover of the forty five of after the glitter fades we're totally old school here so wonderful song and it's been a real joy talking about this album it's so rich and um it's great it's fun yeah up next will be the big one will be that one is yeah it's going to be it's going to be like the bomb i'm going to be writing up some stuff and i've even uh taught myself the opening riff uh we'll see how that records if it if not but um, it's been really a good journey with this song, even today. So, yeah, it's exciting. Edge of 17. After the break, we will be talking about Stevie Nicks through the looking glass, and we will be showing up with our opinions, and we have a lot. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, let's talk about that documentary, Stevie Nicks Through the Looking Glass. It's a documentary that spans Stevie's life from high school. From high school to about 2010, sometime around there. It is uh, mostly dudes commenting on Stevie Nicks. Uh, you have Nigel Williamson from Uncut Magazine. You have Ann Powers, the one woman who's in this. She's NPR's uh, music critic and, and correspondent. She's pretty great. And she co-edited the 1995 anthology Rock She Wrote. Cool. Women write about rock, pop, and rap. And she's she's uh, on NPR a lot when I, when I listen to, um, I forget what their new music podcast is called, but she's on that a lot. Also, Keith Olsen, who got who discovered. Stevie and Lindsay. Yeah, he got them to leave their band Fritz. And he produced Buckingham Mix as well. Sorry. No, no, Cut discovered. No, that's <laughs> yes. okay. But basically, he is the producer who discovered them, and yeah. he produced the Buckingham Knicks album. Yeah. And then also uh, Ken Calliette, who is producer of Rumors and dad of Kobe Calliette, who you probably heard of. <laughs> yes. Oh, was she the one that ended up joining Fleetwood Mac? Like after. Uh, no? I don't know. It was know. like a weird time where there was like some. No, no, no. Kobe Calliette's a, a real young. Okay, she's a child. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, you remember child, that? But <laughs> I do, everyone, and it was not when her. You're yeah. Fifty-one years <laughs> yeah. old. Everyone becomes a child. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm serious. No. It's ridiculous. I'm like, ah, <laughs> you know, you're in your mid thirties. Ah, you know. Yeah. Sucks, don't um, it? Aw. I have a few names for you too. Uh, that also, after Keith Olsen, then it was Chris Ingham. I identify him as the British guy with glasses. The first guy, Nigel Williamson, is also Brit British. He's the British guy with the scarf. Okay, so those of you playing at home, uh, do a shot every time you see the scarf. Uh, then, uh, yeah, I think Robert Criscow, uh he is a very... I mean, I looked up to that guy, actually. I've read a lot of his stuff, and he's an excellent rock critic. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, interesting to see him on there, too. So the purpose of this podcast, I'm going to call him Hater Bob. Yes. and I He's not my favorite and, person. And I co-sign as well. Okay, that. awesome. Uh, Mick, uh, Mick Fleetwood's also in this, Leslie Buckingham. There are a few clips from Stevie. Um, and John one McPhee. of my clips, what's that? So John McVie's also in it. Oh yeah, like most of Fleetwood Mac appears in that in this documentary. Just previous yeah, clips, much. you know, yeah, old ones from the '90s, and their hair is enormous. Yeah. Oh my God, Stevie's hair in the one time. clip, the one clip where she has like the white, and her hair mm -hmm. is piled on top of her head. Yes. Oh, I think that's fantastic. And it's like, yeah. And she's next to her lamp, which, as we've discussed before, I have a thing for her lamps. Yeah. It's bad, but I, but really, I love all the lamps in her house. Like watching the In Your Dreams documentary, like I want all those lamps. I want to go to her house, and yes, I want to hang out with her, but mostly I want to hang out with her by the lamps. By the lamps. So yes. you, so okay. So it's not like you just like the lamps. You just like the combination. Stevie, I, do, with I would have the. I like the lamps as well, but I could not afford them. But you add Stevie in there, that's perfect. So it's like uh, you know her props. So they're the they. Yeah. Owls, the the cockatoos, the right. the lamp. So yeah, <laughs> got it. Yeah, that's your pick of props. Yeah. So anyway, that's the setup for this documentary, and it mm -hmm. it goes through, and all these people comment, and they show clips and talk about um, Stevie's life and musical career. Anybody that is a big Stevie Nicks fan already knows the story it tells. Let's just put that right out in the open, right? 
anybody that's like followed Stevie as a fan and knows like about you know, the, the tumult of rumors and the cocaine addiction and the recovery and, uh, you know, the trajectory of her life. Um, you're not going to like get any big surprises from that. What you're really going to get is like kind of some bystanders views of what you already know. I think that maybe is the biggest value that I got out of the documentary as a fan was as hearing, the various impressions she created upon producers, uh, mm-hmm. her colleagues, you know, it, it was interesting in that way. I definitely, for instance, um, Chris Ingram mentions that all Stevie's vocals were doubled in Buckingham Nicks. Yes. And, you know, I just, I never thought about that. But Neither I, did I. Right. And that's he a is. weird thing to do. It's not even, they're not harmonized. They're just doubled. They're just doubled there, but there are key places where you can hear that it's doubled because this was kind of a revelation to me as well. I was like borderline aware of it because that was actually a common recording technique at the time where you're backing yourself up. Uh, and I heard it like on Waylon Jennings and really, yes, you can hear it. You hear his voice kind of like you almost hear like the split second delay they're singing the same song at the same time. There's just this, it's like a little tiny micro pause in between them. So you feel like you are listening to two people and, and then it will split off. You can hear, you can hear it more when he's like doing, or she's doing a sustained note. You start hearing a slight difference between the two voices. And there are also parts also on uh, Buckingham Nicks and Waylon does this as well, where he holds one note and then another note starts ascending like a harmony note. Yeah. And Stevie does that as well. And you can then, you know, for sure you are indeed listening to a doubling of voices. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I know that the documentary this I also flagged as an important quote from the movie. Uh, I felt as though knowing more about how things were recorded at that time, it was more of a fashion thing. It made it sound modern for that time. And I think they really wanted to kind of grab that pop sensibility of the now there. And that's what they did. And also, I just also want to say this is that, yes, it's true. Stevie's voice is doubled throughout. Um, and that critic said, well, this may be a sign of insecurity about her voice, that they weren't really sure how well mm-hmm. that it would go over and that making it double somehow made it more palatable, which I found like a questionable observation. I'm thinking you? if you're not sure, yeah, because if you really, really sure about that singer's voice, why would you make more of it? I don't, I honestly Literally, don't know enough about you know what mixing I mean? to know. But I'm just saying that they say the voice is doubled and the doubling is because they weren't sure about her voice and they wanted it to be more tasteful in the doubling. That was apparently the agenda. This is the assumption made by the person talking. Mm-hmm. And he knows about, you know, rock and the mixing. But that was actually a fashionable thing at the time to yeah. double voices. Waylon did it. There's also other songs on here where Lindsay is also doubled. Plenty, in fact, of yeah. Lindsay doubled. So maybe yeah, not okay. every song, but you, I did. I made a point of sitting down with that record. You did after, your homework. I totally did it. And awesome. I like, I did. I like subjected everyone in the room. I'm like, listen, you're just going to have to hear the Buckingham Knicks album. We're just doing this today. I'm sorry, kids. But, um, <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, it was a legitimate uh, observation. 
but I don't think it actually had a wide enough perspective for the point that it made. Uh, there was not an insecurity factor. There was a fashion factor, I think. Nice. So I disagree. Good to know. <laughs> Your disagreement is noted. <laughs> um, you know, uh, keep, we're actually going to probably end up talking about the things we disagree with more than anything else because True. we're sort of assuming everyone, like the rest of it is just a given. There's been several biographies written about Stevie. I mean, there's several TV shows about Stevie, mm -hmm. Lindsay, the breakup. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Keith Olsen had said that Stevie's songs were lighter and folky compared to Lindsay's more deeper songs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I'm here to disagree with that entirely. Mm. Like, Lindsay's songs are angry, you know, especially mm -hmm. early on. Angsty. There's just, yeah. They're He's just, always uh, doing angsty. Just because you're angsty doesn't mean you're deep. Mm -hmm. Well, he's a you dude. Know? See, this is the thing. And I think this is the gender line that you were talking about uh, when you told me to watch this, is that there's we're going to hear a lot about what men think of Stevie Nicks. Yeah. And this yeah. would be a key point in that. You know, here's Keith Olsen, yeah. a dude, saying, well, want... <laughs> "Sorry, say, you know, basically." And you know what I want to say too, though, um, as far as Keith Olsen is concerned, the observations that I have of him, based on what I saw in the doc, and also his history uh, with uh, Stevie and Lindsay and Fleetwood Mac, I would say that his music, his observations come from a, a good place. I feel like yeah, he seems a like a friend good guy. of them. He's a good guy. He, yeah. he actually passed away this year yes. uh, in early March. And um, uh, that we, uh, you know, seriously, after I watched this documentary, I felt a sense of loss um, after I saw it. I mean, I've always admired his work, yeah. but uh, he became a person on that documentary. And it's yeah. just like, dang, man, we all lost a friend. That guy was, yeah. I really liked him. And he had some things to say that were kind of like, I, I don't agree with that either, uh, that Stevie was just this like folky person. I think that it, I think maybe just in the kind of, tonal qualities yeah, that she had compared that. to Lindsay's, you know, for tonal qualities. And you know how we are. We edit our stuff, right? To put it, make it all fit in a movie. Mm -hmm. For all we know, you could have said, well, the tonal qualities of, and they just went, yeah. oh, boring, chop, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just FYI, Leslie edits the show. So <laughs> that's why she's laughing so knowingly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I really liked, I, I thought Keith Olsen was a gen, genuinely warm person who seemed to like them. And how many people mm -hmm. can say that Stevie Nicks was their cleaning lady? True. Yeah. Yeah. Just a really cool guy. And, um, but yeah, he said that, and, um, I, I also take some minor issue too, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, there are some people though that don't, Albert mm. Christgau is, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Hater Bob. Hater, Hater Bob. Bob. Hater Bob is like on the top of the list. Um, are we so are we going to talk? Because I have a lot. Like, I don't want to lean on the pack. negative side. Yeah, right. That's he true. says Let's things just... that are so egregious, it's funny. And so I sort of want to bring it up for that reason. Should we start off with some Hater Bob quotes? We certainly can. I think there's a, you know, the number one, and I, I don't know, just go ahead, drop it. Stevie Nicks is not modest. Stevie Nicks is full of herself. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> like that's a bad thing yeah okay like that's a bad thing uh, i would say also a lot of greats were full of themselves i feel yeah. like Jimi hendrix 
uh, was definitely, I think he died somewhere up his own ass. You know, I mean, this was, this is how you make great rock, you know, this, this kind of, I don't know. It's just like, well, if it's true for me, it's going to have to be true for somebody else somewhere, you know? Yeah. And he has, he seems to have a personal bent with her, which as, as we'll get through his quotes, Mm -hmm. you'll start to see, Mm -hmm. it's like, dude, you're a music critic. Why are you commenting on everything about her that has nothing to do with music? Because that's all he has to say, because he's not doing his job as far as Stevie Nicks is concerned. He thinks he's got a read on her from a cynical point of view from, uh, you know, I know all about rock business and Stevie mm-hmm. Nicks was good rock business. You know, it's kind of what I kind of got out of him. And he wasn't giving her any kind of credit. It's, this is my, I'm going to just read my actual favorite quote about okay, go ahead. Stevie as according to Hater Bob. <laughs> okay, quote, she parades her suffering around and that is the source of her appeal. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? I mean... Um, I don't think any song is about her suffering exactly. Like, I mean, sure, like, Belladonna's about darkness, and After the Glitter Fade is imagining, you know, someone who's not so into it. Yeah, I mean, I hear that. So she parades her suffering around. Say this again. She She parades her suffering around, and that is the source of her appeal. Like, that isn't, it's not in the vicinity of reality. Maybe he meant Lindsay. That sounds like Lindsay to me. <laughs> exactly. What makes you think you're the one? Yeah. I mean, seriously. every song on Tusk from Lindsay. Seriously. You know? It's just like this bitter bitchy takedown. Hater Bob is once I like once I got over the initial um outrage of hearing him say this garbage, yeah. then I just started mm-hmm. laughing at him. Yeah, so did I. I mean, and he was, this is the other thing, if you haven't seen the documentary, and if you you were letting you know, and if you have seen it, you're like, yes, you can viscerally feel his hatred of Stevie Nicks in mm-hmm. his interview. He can barely contain himself, yeah. you know, and that's, it, it, you can just see his face reddening. Like, you, you can just, it's, it's crazy. It's kind of, it's, it's, really it's like weird. a substitute teacher kind of rage. You know, that impotent rage, (laughs) you know, it's like, you know, she is a massive star and she is going to far outlive him in in the history books of rock and it just kills him. And, um, you know, yeah, my favorite is is how he he tries to end everything with like just say something completely scouring and then try and end it with a positive thing like that makes everything he just said. Okay. And my favorite example of is this quote, Stevie Nicks is the wrong kind of sex object, but in this context, it works just great because it's all about sex and jealousy and obsession in an extremely contained, interesting way. It's a wonderful record. What the hell is all that? Yeah. Well, haters going to hate. Peter Bob is going to yeah. hate. Yeah. So that, that is something, if you watch the documentary, you'll have to I suffer I really, through. again, found that enjoyable. And um, it was a oh, yeah. sad if little you can, man, yeah. you know, um, yeah. a portion of the of the show. that they, The villain of the piece is actually just this pencil neck, you know, squawker, you know, so, so yeah. sad. And, and one thing, one overall thing I want to say in general I feel like a lot of people discredit Stevie Nicks' uh, musicianship 
you know, because they'll say things like, well, Lindsay had to, you know, work out this or that. But like Stevie Nicks is an incredible mm-hmm. songwriter. She's an incredible mm-hmm. vocalist. The way she sings things is differently than anyone mm-hmm. else would do it. Um, like she's a great songwriter. And also, you know, this idea that, so, oh, Lindsay's such a great guitarist. Yes, he is. Yeah, I actually love Lindsay's guitar playing. And he's a great producer and all that. I'm not taking anything away from Lindsay. But the point of music, or pop music anyway, isn't to be the best musician. If that was true, the hottest ticket in town would be your symphony ticket, mm-hmm. would be true. your local symphony. That would be the one people I, were clamoring to get into. You. Yeah. There's, yeah, there are a ton of great sure. musicians there. Uh, not It wouldn't be the guy who or a girl or whoever um, plugs in their Marshall amp, turns the distortion way up and, you know, plays. That's not, so I, it just, it, it kind of annoys me when people act like, I don't know, that, that somehow she's not enough of a, a musician uh, because she's just singing and other people work on her songs. Other people work on everyone's yeah, songs. doesn't matter right. who you are. Right. And um, I, I, I think I know what you're talking about. You're talking about, um, how after they broke up, Lindsay and Stevie, um, that mm-hmm. he was in the, and it says so in the documentary, the unenviable position of having to see her every day and work on her songs and produce her songs. And um, I don't know, there's a lot made about the burden that Lindsay carried before you know, after they broke up. But let us please talk about the burden that Stevie carried getting his lazy ass there to begin with, you know, and I thought that was a neat part of the documentary was where they, they started getting the attention of Fleetwood Mac and Lindsay's like, Oh, I can't follow Peter green, you know? And, and Keith Olsen is just like, dude, you're all right too. You know, I'm trying not to roll my eyes completely back in my head. And then Stevie says, you know, at this time, I was a lot more interested in making money than he was because I was actually supporting us. Yeah. <laughs> and that's key. That's key. <laughs> Stevie brought him to the dance. She brought him there. Yeah. And everything that he did afterwards is somehow portrayed as some great painful sacrifice when she was the one who mm-hmm. actually pushed him down the road. You know, and, and, and I just, there's a lot of the the male point of view in this documentary is something that we have to suffer through uh, a bit. And, you know, there's only like the only female voices are Ann Powers, who, as you mentioned, is from NPR. She's a music critic. She was Mm -hmm. a great female voice in there and Stevie herself, you know, it's like two against what? Almost 10. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, was a, okay. it was plenty, you know. It was a sausage party. Oh, no. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> I'm not in my head now. I'm going to earn this explicit rating in this episode all the way, all the way. I'm all in, all in okay. on this. But um, yeah, the, it's frustrating and insightful because the rock industry, Leslie, you can speak to this more than I is so male oriented, especially then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Back then. I mean, yeah, you couldn't, it's be like, Oh, well we can't play this, this woman's record on the radio. Cause we already played a woman in the last right. five hours. Oh, yeah. We played Linda yeah. Ronstadt today. Ridiculous. I guess tomorrow will be Stevie Nicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Yeah. So Melinda, what are your, do you have any favorite quotes? Well, we've already talked a lot about some really excellent moments. Uh, 
but uh, we haven't touched on the recording of rumors. Uh, and I think the recording of rumors was really encapsulated by this quote by uh, Ken Callier, uh, who worked closely with Fleetwood Mac for that recording. And uh, he talks mm-hmm. about a time when they were recording backing vocals for You Make Loving Fun. And mm-hmm. uh, that anybody that knows that song, what a sweet, buoyant song that is. And Stevie and Lindsay are recording harmonies for it. You know, oh, you make loving fun, you know, and it's so sweet. And then, like, as soon as they sing that part, Ken Callier says, Stevie Nicks goes, screw you, asshole, at Lindsay. And then Lindsay's like, fuck you. And then, you know, it's like while Chris is singing her part, then they go right back to, ooh, you make really fun. He, yeah. like, he actually played it back. He's like, he couldn't even believe that moment really happened. But there it was. You know, they're singing. And then as soon as they end the line, she's, you know, they're cussing at each other. And then right on the beat, they continue singing <laughs> this buoyant, adorable love song. Um, so that was my favorite quote from the whole thing. Uh, it was just, I could see that happening. It was like such a spinal tap kind of moment. <laughs> so what else were your favorite parts of the documentary? One of my favorite things about the documentary was contrasting the young Stevie to the older Stevie, the interview mm-hmm. clips. And and there's the young Stevie. Uh, she She's talking about writing these songs that make people feel better, you know, and, and it's just like jo- when she hears a Joni Mitchell song. You know, she feels better. Yeah. Also with like a really high, higher than normal for Stevie, airy voice. Yeah, she was just like, really, uh, just a, like a waif, really. Yes, a wisp of a woman. Uh, just a little will-o'-the-wisp, you know, and, yes. and just so pretty and cute and, and and like almost like a little fairy type yeah. character. And then uh, I love that because then you keep going with Stevie to the end point where she's like, I don't really know exactly what happened, but all I remember is I have my, my hands around Lindsay's throat. And (laughs) (laughs) I think these two bookends uh, of, of Stevie Nicks uh, in that documentary is what I really enjoy uh, about it is that we go from, from the youthful moment and the cuteness to you know, cold-blooded murder, where she's like, I had my my hands around Lindsay's throat, and I knew right away that was a mistake. And I'm at death's door. My, I'm like thinking about my ancestors avenging me. Yeah, she went on mob boss a little bit there. Yeah, she is. Like, well, I'm gonna die, but my dad's and my brother—they're gonna get you. Yeah. Yeah, she's already planning her, you know, the revenge that will be, pl- you know, she's plotting revenge beyond the grave against Lindsay yes. <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I love that. I So I think that's my favorite part of it is how she, how we kind of see her at both ends of the the spectrum there. From Wisp of a Woman to Gangster. To total full on Gangster. Uh, avenge my death, you know, kind of Biggie Smalls territory now with Lindsay and um, <laughs> love that. So if you have thoughts you'd like to share on this documentary, um, you can go to our Instagram at Hello Witches Podcast and share your thoughts on our posts. 
So next week we will be covering Edge of 17 and probably a few other surprise things that we don't know we're going to cover right now. <laughs> Who knows where this will lead us. We want to remind people that uh, you can find us on Instagram at Hello Witches Podcast and you can contact us at Hello Witches Podcast at Gmail. Also, if you like what you're hearing, um, subscribe and please leave a review for us. We would appreciate that. Thanks again for listening to Hello Witches. It's a Stevie Nicks podcast. And we look forward to talking to you again very soon.